This morning in the Bible, we would direct your attention, congregation, to Ephesians chapter 1 as we continue our series through this epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, to the church in Ephesus. You can find Ephesians 1 in your pew Bible on page 1342. We began last week by considering uh, the greeting or the salutation as that is contained in verses 1 and 2. Uh, We then come this morning uh, to a section that is comprised of verses 3 through 6 as the apostle begins to unfold uh, what we would call the, the body of the epistle, the main content. And we remind ourselves that the content of an epistle is made up by, first of all, theological indicatives, that is, statements of truth about God, who He is, what He has done, and then as a result, who we are. And then later on in the epistle, building upon the theological indicatives, there will become the moral imperatives. Uh, So we remind ourselves that we are dealing here with the main body of the epistle and the section that deals with the theological indicatives. So we read this morning from Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved." And thus far this morning, our reading from the Word of God. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, by way of introduction, I don't have anyone in particular in mind, and perhaps what I'm about to say applies to myself more than anyone else, but have you ever met someone and listened to them talk, and it seemed that the only things that they had to say were negative things? Uh, that there was this kind of tempo to their talk. Everything is bad and only getting worse. Uh, Maybe you think of the old Winnie the Pooh character of Eeyore. Woe is me. Woe is everyone around me. Things are bad. They're only going to get even more bad. The future looks dark. It would seem sometimes that when you turn on the news, if you do so, that seems to be the constant refrain. And sometimes even within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that seems to be a constant refrain. Woe are we. Woe is the culture in which we live. Has God forgotten to be kind? And sometimes the older you get, I believe, the more temptation that there is to fight against developing this overly negative, pessimistic spirit. And I think that's because as you live and as you age, there are those experiences that cause you perhaps to have a downcast outlook on life. Think of the Apostle Paul. He could have had a very dour outlook on life. 
from earthly perspectives, uh, what did he have to look forward to? He found himself oftentimes chased from city to city as he spent himself in the gospel ministry. He had no prospect of a comfortable retirement. He found himself often misrepresented by his opponents, slandered and attacked. He found himself suffering even physical afflictions, in part because of the opposition that many had against his gospel ministry. You might think, well, he'd write a letter to the Ephesians and say, everything's bad, and it's only getting worse. But he doesn't. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can't you almost see the smile on his face as he writes those words? Can't you almost hear the, the note of joy in his very soul as he sends this message to the church in Ephesus? Now for immediate self-reflection, what about the people that we interact with? If we were to ask them, you know, in your conversation uh, with, with Reverend Lubbers, what note do you pick up? Would they say, you know, I pick up a note that he has joy in the Lord. His, his constant refrain seems to be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. What about the community when they think of Covenant Reformed Church? Would they say, ah, yes, there are a people whose constant note seems to be, blessed be God, who has blessed us with the gift of salvation, with the gift of sovereign salvation, with the gift of a sovereign election in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, with those opening introductory thoughts and questions, we want to move to consider our text with the Lord's help this morning. Underneath this theme, a doxology, and boys and girls, that word just simply means praise, praise to God. And so oftentimes, at the end of the service, we, we sing what we call the doxology. It's just a song of praise. So a doxology or a song of praise to God for the spiritual blessing of election. And we'll notice that in this doxology, there is first of all the source of the spiritual blessing of election. And then secondly, there is the description of the spiritual blessing of election. And then thirdly, there is the identification of the purpose of the spiritual blessing of election. And all three of these are woven together to make up the chords, so to speak, of this song of praise. So a doxology to God for the spiritual blessing of election, the source, the description, and then the purpose of the spiritual blessing. Uh, before we get into the first point directly, just notice that election is a biblical doctrine, a biblical truth. It is a reality. It is an action that God has taken. 
Election is not just simply some theological novelty dreamt up by theologians during the era of the Reformation. Notice also that election is not a doctrine or a truth that is to be handled lightly or battered about in some type of intramural activity where we just try to spar with theological opponents. You know that we take our fencing sword of the doctrine of election and try to stick it to the Arminian or the Pelagian that we may encounter in the workforce or in the college campus. Now certainly the Apostle Paul would rise to the defense of election, and certainly he believed it with the entirety of his being. But notice the first result of election in the heart of the Apostle Paul was that it produced this sense of praise and this expression of worship because he understood that behind election was God Himself. And so the source of election, what we've often called with the acronym TULIP, the source of election is not to be found anywhere within ourselves. Theologians have identified this with the term of unconditional election. It's not that we chose God first and foremost, but rather that God chose those whom He would save. And so the divine source is God Himself. You notice that that's very plain in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, that who refers to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then this is not, of course, to criticize the Apostle Paul's writing style because we believe each and every word is inspired. But Paul goes on to what we would most likely describe uh, this enormous run-on sentence. On and on he goes with these wonderful phrases of deep theological truths. But the subject of verses 3 through 6, the subject of the entire grammatical structure is God. Blessed be the God, the triune God, but especially the person of the Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because it is from Him that there is the outpouring of the spiritual blessings, all flowing out from this act or this decree or this decision of election. God is the overflowing fountain of all good. That's what our Belgic Confession rightly expresses in its opening article. And people of God, this is how we must look at God. When we, when we think of God in His being, certainly there has to be the recognition of His majesty and of His glory but also of His goodness. And that in His goodness, He has blessed us with blessings that are far beyond description. And yes, those blessings include a host of material goods. We live in comfort. We live in ease. We have various degrees of health, but overall we are blessed with health. We are blessed with medical care. 
We are blessed with homes characterized by comfort and convenience. We are blessed with a superabundance of food and of clothing, with financial prosperity. We have more time at our disposal than any of our predecessors in the history of humanity have had. And that's only a drop in the bucket of how God has blessed us. He has blessed us with spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, with a spiritual identity that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. Now, I don't want to deny the difficulties of life. I just simply want to try to put the reality of the difficulties of life into a proper perspective. We are sons and daughters of God. By His gracious decree of election, And there is nothing in time, in space, that can alter that. Absolutely nothing can change that status. And this is why the Apostle Paul, and with him the Christian, ought to and must praise God. You notice that this is not only a divine source, but it's also an exclusive source. The Apostle Paul, he so quickly with his apostolic pen ties the doctrine of election into the person of Jesus Christ in verse 4. Just as he, referring primarily, not exclusively, anytime God does something, all three persons are involved. But there is a priority in election given to the Father. But you'll notice that in verse 4, just as He, that is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In Him refers to in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the one and only channel through which God's grace and mercy flows to those who are called. He chose us in Him. From all of eternity, God the Father looked upon every single living member of the church and saw them in Him. In Jesus Christ. And here again you can ask the Apostle Paul, Paul, how is it that you can bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? And Paul's immediate answer would be, because I am in Him. Because I am in Christ. And now certainly, we believe that our Heidelberg Catechism summarizes the truth of Holy Scripture. So isn't it remarkable that you find this same emphasis in the opening question and answer of our Catechism? What is your only comfort in life and in death? What is the reason by which you can bless God? That I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That I am in Him. Now, this already sets the tone, you might say, 
for this wonderful doxology or this song, this life of praise and of gratitude and of blessing to God. Because Paul, and like him, the Christian, ought to continually walk through this life with the experiential knowledge that there is a divine exclusive source, God Himself, who has blessed us, who has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. But notice that the song continues to unfold as we consider in our second point the description of the spiritual blessing of election. If God is the one who has elected, what then did He do in His election? And here again, a mature understanding of what God did in election is not just simply fuel for us to congratulate ourselves and our theological sharpness of understanding, but rather as we understand what God did in election, that ought to produce within us a profound sense of gratitude that will then overflow within our hearts with the consistent refrain of praise. And so the act of election, you'll notice in verse 4, uh, there is the statement, just as He chose us. If you could boil it down, that is the action in eternal election. Chose us. Uh, now that idea, choose, boys and girls, you, you know what this is. It, it means to pick someone out or to pick something out. Now, there's always a danger when you give illustrations because the illustrations are not the thing that is illustrated. So the illustrations always fall short. But you might, if you think back to your first days of the school year here, maybe you went to school and maybe the seats were all arranged already when you went into the classroom and I don't know how it goes. Maybe if you're in your younger grade, maybe you still had, I know when I was in second or third grade, the teacher would you know, put our name on the desk and laminate it, and very quickly I would begin to pick the laminate off and just out of boredom. I hope you didn't do that, but your name's there on your desk. You didn't pick that seat out for yourself, and, and, and maybe you went in there and you thought, oh, I sit here, this is a wonderful seat. I'm next to my friends, I'm next to the window, I'm in the very front, whatever your preference is. But your teacher chose where you would sit. That's what this idea is. God chose individual persons to sit around His throne as his sons and as his daughters. Now I know that there is so much more that can and should be said about election. But this morning, let us be content with that simple understanding. God chose certain particular individual persons to sit figuratively and in due time, literally, in His presence as His adopted children. Verse 4 says, just as He chose us. 
It's not just some abstract selection of an unidentified community of persons. If you are in Christ this morning, God chose you as a particular person. Even before anything existed, of course, God is eternal, above time, outside of time, beyond time. So even though nothing outside of God existed, yet in the mind of God, everything existed that would ever exist. And from eternity, only because of His own will, God chose you, Christian, to be one of His sons, to be one of His daughters. This is what we call unconditional election. You'll notice that the motive, if you want to call it that, is found there in verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Just notice in verse 5, nothing is mentioned about your or my merit. And this is the, the lie of a conditional election. God did not look and see you or see me and think, oh, they're really good. They're really valuable. I want them to be in my family. I want him to be my son. I want her to be my daughter. I want them to be members of my church because they have all kinds of gifts and talents and they are desirable. The only motivating factor behind this eternal decree of election is God's good will. And when this begins to sink into our mind and into our heart, I guarantee you it will be radical in its impact. When I come to understand the only reason I am in a church is because of God's will, that will have profound implications. The only reason I am here and someone else is not here is because of the good pleasure of God. That will humble, but also give confidence. And this truth, of course, is also emphatically asserted by the Apostle Paul in the Epistle to the Romans. Uh, when he thinks about, for example, the contrast between Jacob and Esau, why is it that the one responds to the covenant with faith and the other responds to the covenant in unbelief? The will of God. And you can see this continue to play out in family lines. Why is it that two children can come forth from the same set of parents, go to the same Christian school and the same church, sit in the same pew, hear the same sermons, go to the same catechism class, receive the same instruction, and one respond in faith and repentance, 
and the other waste all of those privileges and riotous living? The answer, the will of God. But now some might object and say, how can that be? To which the Apostle Paul says, who are you? A jar of clay? Are we going to stand before the master potter and say, why have you made this one that way? And that one this way? No, with holy awe and reverence, we need to stop any objections, any complaints, any questions, and humbly bow before the sovereignty of God. Because that's the response to election. And that's why, congregation, it is so disturbing. If we step back and if we look at it, it is so disturbing. Whenever I find in my own heart and whenever there is evidence in the Christian church of pride in our understanding of election, to think that we would boast of ourselves that we are the ones who understand election. Do you see what a contradiction that is? If we really understand election, yes, it will give a sense of confidence, but humility. Humility that says, all glory belongs to God alone, who has loved us with an everlasting love. Well, we hasten on to our third point, the purpose of the spiritual blessing of election. To what end has God chosen us in the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, and here we move into verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. If I could give the young people of this congregation one thing, it would be the, the knowledge or the sense of their identity and their purpose. Because if you look, if you look upon the young people of our society, your heart has to break for them. You look upon them in the malls of our towns, and I can't help escape the refrain, look at all the lonely people. Where do they all come from? Just aimlessly wandering, succumbing to the lies of our present age, believing that they are nothing more than a clump of molecules who have had an unfortunate encounter with time. Aimlessness. And then they succumb to the lie that life is all about them. And that they can make their identity whatever they want it to be. And against that lie, there is the wonderful truth that 
the young people of the covenant of grace, you have a remarkable identity. And I hope you never, ever, ever forget who you are. Sons and daughters of the living God. And that you then understand your purpose. Because you can tell if somebody has an awareness of their purpose. You can, you can see it in the way they walk, in the way they dress, in the way they conduct themselves. A person walks into a room. You can tell if he's or she's there with a purpose or if they're just aimlessly wandering. And the Christian has a purpose. And that purpose is stated so plainly in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. The reason we exist as individuals and as a congregation is for the praise of God. So do you see how verse 6 wraps right back around to verse 3? The Apostle Paul begins by saying, Blessed be the God and Father. Of course he begins that way because he understood this is the reason why we have been elected. Now included in that, of course, is the forgiveness of sins and the escape from eternal condemnation. But the overarching purpose of our existence is that we have been created and we have been redeemed to bless our God. And that's only right and that's only proper because God is the highest object. God is the infinite one in all of His perfections. So He is worthy of our praise. And our praise ought to include then a holiness of life and a consecration of service. And so you'll notice uh, that the Apostle Paul, as we looked last week, identifies the church as the saints, as those who are holy because, verse 4, not because we have attained some measure of holiness by which God then chose us, but we have been chosen in Him, verse 4, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So by the redeeming grace of God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, individual persons are consecrated, are separated to be, you might say, a continual choir of praise and glory to God in all aspects of life, in our Mondays, our Wednesdays, our Saturdays, and our Sundays, in our corporate worship as well as in our private worship in our family life, as well as in our vocational life, that the constant heartbeat of our life would be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so a question for reflection, and then a statement of encouragement. Do our lives reflect the fact that we realize that we have been blessed by God. Does your life, your conduct, 
as you rub shoulders, figuratively speaking, maybe literally in the workplace, etc., as you rub shoulders with those around you in this life, do you have a testimony that blesses God because of the reality of election? And then the exhortation, simply this, let it be so. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we stand amazed at Your goodness as we have attempted by Your Word and by Your Spirit to peer into the eternal will of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit to choose us to be Your people. Father, we ask that You would give each and every person here an understanding of their spiritual identity as well as their spiritual purpose. And Lord, we ask for humility, but also confidence. And that with a humble confidence, we might corporately, together as a congregation, but also individually as persons, bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray, amen.